Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. six years, and today I want to talk about a character that if you've spent any time at all in almost any church during your childhood, you will have heard of. Uh, It's a bit of a classic, for better or for worse. There's even a little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed upon a sycamore tree for the Lord. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was the Sunday school nerd in here. This is great. Um, so this is the story of Zacchaeus, part of our series, Unraveled, uh, when God, Seeking God When Our Plans Fall Apart. Thank you. Appreciate it. More caffeine. I'll talk faster. Uh, I'll read from the, the New Revised Standard Version. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So, as with all scripture, there's a a lot of scholarship about Luke's motivation for including this story in his gospel, how it fits into the context of other stories. There are multiple hidden meanings in Luke's narrative. This is a partner story to another one, a chapter earlier in Luke of the young rich man, where the young rich man says, you know, what I got to do to go to heaven? Uh, And they have this conversation. So uh, Luke is treating the issue of earthly possessions and riches in relation to God's kingdom. But let's do like a good Sunday school teacher and ignore all of that. Okay, so I'm just going to pluck the text out of its context, Uh, snarky but also kind of true. What I offer today are two ways to read the story in relation to our theme of unraveling. Who is unraveling what and how in the story of Zacchaeus? We're going to examine the story through two different lenses to see what stands out and what gets pushed to the background. And I'll reference it throughout. If you want to pull it up on your phone, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. I'm certain you can get a Bible to you. This is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, uh, the verses that I read. So, two ways of reading this story. 
And this is the perspective preferred by 9.5 out of 10 Sunday school teachers in North America, according to my own irresponsible and purely based on opinion and prejudice statistic that I just made up. But it, it, it adheres to what I call the Western default lens. Uh, and that default defaults on the individual. So when we tell that story, when we tell this story, we're either focusing on Jesus and the fact that he walks up to this dude and the creepy dude in the tree and says, hey, get down from the tree. I'm going to have dinner at your house. Or we focus on Zacchaeus. I have trouble pronouncing that word in English, um, who is just as creepy because he climbs up on a tree uh, to see this person passing by. Uh, but this is the way that I was taught this story as a child, either through the eyes of Zacchaeus or through the eyes of Jesus, individual to individual. And through that lens, we basically ask, who are the main characters? What happens to them? And how does that affect us as individuals? So how does the narrative of these two people affect this one person? And from that perspective, it's a pretty straight-up conversion story, right? So cue background music. Sinner meets the Christ. Sinner is charmed by Jesus' good looks, witty humor, and talk of the kingdom. Sinner repents and does something insanely out of character to prove sinner's conversion. Good. There are other stories like that. Classic. Very good. Excellent for Sunday school. And it's pretty straightforward from Jesus' side, right? Uh, Messiah walks into Jericho, sees weirdo up in tree, asks for dinner, does some good salvation work for the day, moves on. Um, no brainer. The problem with that lens is that it is very narrow. It, it, it puts blinders on the story, on us, on the people in the story, and then asks us to understand what's going on in the story. And I, I don't want to imply that nothing comes from reading the story through the Western default lens of the individual. Because from that perspective, it is a story of unraveling in the, in the best possible sense of the term. So, most responsible preachers will mention how, as a chief tax collector who's described as rich, uh, Zacchaeus was a Jew who turned against his own people. In the eyes of the crowd that was following Jesus around, including these enemy groups, the disciples and the teachers of the law, they all agreed that Zacchaeus was a traitor, an evil turncoat, uh, someone who sided with the Roman Empire and its oppression, who worked for the oppressors, gathering taxes and skimmed significant personal profit in the process. Basically, a, 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 I'm just going to go out and say it, a corrupt asshole. I mean, to be blunt, no good Jewish citizen wanted to be caught in his company. Today's not family service, right? So I can say that. No one wanted to be caught talking to this person. And in this story, everything Zacchaeus was, everything he sacrificed to make a profit is unraveled. It's like Jesus pulls on the string of his identity until it's completely in a pile on the ground. And then, cue more background music, like a phoenix, Zacchaeus arises from the ashes having divested himself of the entrapments of early riches and reached gospel nirvana. He becomes a model of Christian conversion and gives back multiple times what he had stolen. 
He's also bankrupt in the process, but my Sunday school teacher failed to mention that. Theologian Rachel Coleman puts it like this. Zacchaeus' condition and identity are reversed. From lost and excluded to found and included. From scorned sinner to saved son. From example of the worst to example of the best. Examining this story through the Western default lens also says something about us as individuals, right? Especially if we take a minute to put ourselves in Zacchaeus' shoes. And I, uh, I like another theologian, Anna Carter Florence's depiction of what that exercise of becoming Zacchaeus might help us see. And she says, Zacchaeus is short, we're all too short, all too short. Metaphorically and absolutely, we can't see over the heads of the ones around us or past the cultures that formed us or through the systems that bind us. The view keeps getting blocked. We're trying to see Jesus and we're too short. Every one of us, it's enough to make you want to sit down on the curb and cry and some days that's what we do. But, says Carter Florence, there are other days and maybe we remember the problem isn't the people standing in front of us or the barriers between us. It might be where we're standing and if we stood somewhere else, the angle of vision might be different. If we climbed a sycamore tree, for instance, if we huffed and puffed our way up to another vantage point, if we could brave a few gnarly limbs and scraped knees and even a bruised ego because we knew Jesus would be passing that way. So from that individual perspective, the story does, does, it does open up possibilities for us to look at our own faith. She's asking, Carter Florence is asking to examine our limitations, all the ways in which we fail to perceive Jesus passing through which puts us as listeners in this weird situation where we're happy for Zacchaeus' unraveling, but kind of wary of our own unraveling, kind of caught in a paradox. And that reminds me of Luther, Martin Luther, theologian, who was a big fan of using paradox. Uh, there's one theologian who describes Luther's perspective as, uh, in Zacchaeus' case, there, there's a, a transitory paradox. As long as he had not encountered trife, Christ, the chief tax collector both wished for and dot, did not wish for his Lord's arrival. He wanted to be unraveled, but also did not want to be unraveled. And I think that's us, at least part of the time. So this individualistic reading of Zacchaeus' story does have something to bring to the table. The problem, as I said, is that it's very limited. And it's kind of a, like a toddler in terms of church history. Because this whole idea of thinking of conversion as an individual response to the good news of the gospel is fairly recent in Christian history. It's only like a few centuries old. Now, you might think that's a lot, but um, uh, Darwin McCullough, who, who's a major church historian, argues that for most of the history of Christianity, conversion was not an individual affair. It was a communal affair. So if your king decides you're now all Christian, you're now all Christian. That's what's going to happen. Households become Christian most of the time. Villages, kingdoms, groups of people. So what does that mean if we try to step out of that individual lens and flip over to a communal lens, a communal interpretation of the story of Zacchaeus? It's a shift that brings other characters to focus in the story. 
the most important of which I think is the crowd who gathers to see Jesus pass by. In all the Gospels, crowds are characters. Crowds have personalities. They have lines in the script. They play a role. And here, the crowd serves as a barrier. Because of the crowd, Zacchaeus has to climb up a tree to see Jesus. Remember Carter Florence's description of not being able to see over the heads of the ones around us. The crowd is also a public commentator. The crowd gives us a reading of the broader social context. Uh, there's one theologian in Chile, Juan Pablo Espinosa Arce, says, This crowd is la misma muchedumbre que luego comenzará a murmurar contra Jesús. It's the crowd that will begin to grumble against Jesus who decided to stay at the home of the chief tax collector. So when he decides to get with the chief tax collector, the same crowd who was fascinated by this dynamic spiritual teacher a minute, a minute ago now starts giving him thumbs down. Through communal interpretation, we see how the crowd represents not only a group of people gathered to see a teacher, but the tense, complicated socioeconomic systems of the world that Jesus was walking through. And Zacchaeus is unraveling and what I call a re-raveling, happens on a much larger plane than, the, than that of the individual. This one guy, Fred Craddock, says, in the case of Zacchaeus, his being saved refers to a conversion, to be sure, but not in any private sense. Not only is his household involved, but also the poor who will be the beneficiaries of his conversion, as well as those people whom he may have defrauded. His salvation, therefore, has personal, domestic, social, economic dimensions. It's a conversion to community. So this lens makes clear that conversion to Jesus is conversion into a community, which sometimes means diversion away from another community. But not always. And this is what Juan Pablo Espinosa calls a teología de encuentro, a theology of meeting. The story of Zacchaeus presents a theology of encuentro that is characteristic of wherever Jesus passes by. Where Jesus goes, whomever Jesus touches, social conventions are unraveled. Wherever Jesus goes, whatever Jesus touches, systemic oppression is unraveled. Wherever Jesus goes, tables are overturned. Wherever Jesus goes, hearts are overcome. Where Jesus goes, the glaring injustices of Jewish law and Roman oppression are highlighted. From the communal perspective, says Brandon Byrne, another theologian, you see I have a thing for theologians, he brings Zacchaeus from the margins to the center, which highlights what he calls the hospitality of God. Says Byrne, Zacchaeus, one of the marginalized despite his wealth, provides hospitality to Jesus and finds in return the hospitality of God, a welcome into the community of salvation. His dignity and decency defended. At the same time, the exchange of hospitality that occurs between himself and Jesus enlarges the sphere of God's hospitality. It challenges the community to become more effectively a beachhead of the kingdom 
where lost human beings can find welcome and new life in the grasp of a hospitable God. Wherever Jesus passes through, communities are changed. They are unraveled and re-raveled, rewoven, reconfigured, reborn. It's about much more than just a gold-loving dwarf who turns up against his own people and climbs up a tree. It's about all of us who see ourselves reflected in both Zacchaeus and the crowd that is fascinated by Jesus, that pushes Zacchaeus to the margins, that grumbles against Jesus, but has their own lives changed by his generosity when his giving back brings healing to Jericho. So to wrap up, let's bring these two perspectives together. I have two points. First of all, I think that like Zacchaeus, maybe we have to climb more trees. Maybe we have to climb more trees. Life in Deep Ellum is frequently described as a safe place for people with church trauma. And I know that's true because you all sang that stupid little song in the beginning. It's a beautiful vocation. It's a beautiful vocation. It's one that I celebrate. I mean, if you want, we can, church, we can talk crap about church all day. I'm all down. I have tons of stories. Excellent. And I do want to say that your church trauma is important. And this is a place where you can bring that to church. Yes, and one of the things we see in this story is the move from paralysis to healing. And in order to flourish, in order to be unraveled and re-raveled, maybe you have to climb a tree. Juan Pablo Espinosa says, Hay que aprender a subir al árbol para ver al Señor que se hace el encontradizo. You have to climb a sycamore to experiment the compassionate gaze of the Jesus who says, I want to stay at your place tonight. Climb a tree. Climb a tree. Let Jesus unravel your hurt in ways that affect and bless this community. Deep Ellum and all the other communities of which you're a part, climb a tree. Even if you're scared, even if it's ungainly. My second point, related to the first, is that as a community, we need to plant more trees for other people to climb. I spoke earlier about the radical hospitality of God that shines through when we read this story from the perspective of community. What Espinosa Arce calls Teología del Encuentro. Because, he says, el árbol fue el último recurso para que Zaqueo pudiera ver a Jesús. The tree was the last, last resource for this this Zacchaeus person to be able to see the Jesus that was passing by. He couldn't see. He couldn't get through. He had to find another way. He had to climb a tree. What happens, asks Espinosa, when as a church or a culture we chop down 
the last resort for others to see Jesus? When, what happens when there is no safe place to meet with God? As a church, says Espinosa, we need to plant more trees for people to meet with God. I was here, uh, I have this habit of showing off life in Deep Ellum. Whenever anyone I know comes to town, I'm like, you know, I don't know. Screw the Arch District. Let's go see my church instead. I do that. I just subject everyone to that, whatever. And um, I brought a friend here uh, from Brazil, and we were talking about, you know, what was going on, and there were people in the building, and uh, uh, Jenna and um, Angela and Abair were running around trying to get together an event that was related to the community crossing the, th the threshold. We're talking about homelessness. We have organizations here that impact this community. So this place is not just about us. This place builds plants. Plants. Trees for others to climb. So let's conclude with the unraveling. In this story, Jesus unravels people's expectations about Zacchaeus. In this story, Jesus unravels Zacchaeus' expectations about himself. Jesus unravels the system that forces him to turn against his own people and his, uh, and his people to ostracize him. This is what Jesus does. Just like in that other story of a wedding at a place called Cana, where Jesus takes some water and makes some wine. He takes one thing and makes it another. In that case, the miracle is not about the wine. It's about keeping the party going. Amen to that. It's about keeping people in a celebration of life. And in this case, Jesus binds community together. He makes something beautiful where before there was something ugly. He takes the initiative. He breaks Zacchaeus' self-perception, his psycho-emotional barriers, which he'd probably built to deal with a society that did not want him. And then Jesus self-invites him to dinner at his house it's an unusual behavior that causes surprise and scandal to everyone around him, but it's also part of a pattern. That's the way Jesus rolls. It's not just a visit. It is welcome and reception. Welcome and reception. Welcome and reception. It's the radical hospitality that is faith. Now I want to end with a poem by Troy Reeves. He's a an English professor who wrote a reflection about this story. Look down, Zacchaeus, from that lofty height at your fellow citizens cobbling the street from house to house, from wall to wall, their upturned faces in the Jericho sun, glowing like hot buttered loaves of bread. Let spindled towers of debits lean and fall. Judgments scroll into empty quivers. Pawn tickets curl up thin as the shavings peeled off a carpenter's burning plane. Go home, Zacchaeus. Make supper for me. For your pains, I'll tender you cornfields, milk cows, clouds full of rain. 
sunlight dazzling in your daughter's raven hair, candlelight flaming in your son's brown, brown eyes, and the young bride's laughter ringing out again like dancing bells on flashing feet. After bread and meat and wine, beneath a bottomless midnight sky so full of stars you cannot count them, we'll walk and talk and I'll bid you believe. Sunfish cellared in the Galilee can tap at the balls of bony feet dimpling the ceiling of their dark world. Shimmy down, brother, from that sycamore tree. Run home and set a place for me. Amen.